0: We're going to take a walk around Chinatown and uh, show you some of the things that have changed and some of the things still sticking around.
1: From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am.
0: Coming up here, we've got uh, Fin House, which uh, sadly closed last uh, in February.
1: Australia's restaurant industry is worth tens of billions of dollars to our economy and employs hundreds of thousands of people. But the sector has been devastated by lockdowns and the loss of international tourism.
0: Coming up here, we've got some... He used to be a travel agent. Um, this guy, this guy, has been around for so, so long.
1: Some of the hardest-hit restaurants are those in Chinatowns across major cities.
0: boat has gone, uh, Lingnam's gone. Um, Suffering's still going. Uh,
1: Even before travel bans and lockdowns, many suffered the brunt of anti-Asian racism.
0: I think if more businesses close in Chinatown, we're probably in fear of losing the identity of Chinatown.
1: Today, writer and food critic Jess Ho on what it could mean if we lose one of the oldest Chinatowns in the world. Jess, Melbourne's Chinatown is a fundamental and I would say much-loved part of the city, but it's also a place that I think really experienced the brunt of the pandemic. We're now a year on from the first lockdowns that shut down so many businesses, and you've decided to investigate what's happening to Chinatown. Tell me why.
2: I think during the pandemic, Chinatown was one of the communities that was hit first. Basically, all the businesses became obliterated. And it's a really important cultural and community hub, not just for the Asian community, but for Melbourne in general. I mean, for me personally, I was going to Chinatown before I even knew what it was. It was a way for me to connect to my heritage because I was raised here. And I think for a lot of Melburnians or even people in the outer suburbs, people, you know, experienced real Chinese food for the first time by going to Chinatown. And because of COVID, like, people don't know what's happening, uh, where the businesses are going. If you go and walk down the street, every second shop is for lease.
1: And so, Jess, when you started to think about Chinatown and how to tell the story of how it's been transformed by the pandemic, what came to mind? Who did you want to talk to? We're going to get in close.
2: I love it. It's like, please... Let us sit in the strange corner <laughs> on the table, let's have sex. Yep, so I spoke with Jason Liu, who runs Flower Drum. And Flower Drum is one of those restaurants with so much prestige and history and innovation, as well as a connection to culture and cuisine, uh, not just for the Cantonese community, but, you know, for all other Australians,
0: Flower drum is uh, quite old school. There's a lot of antiques around and we've had a lot of the furniture since um, when we first started in the late 70s, early 80s. Actually, the chairs that we still use have been refurbed a number of times. They're about 30, 40 years old now. Um,
2: but, um, service... So when you walk into flower drum, you kind of feel like you're stepping back in time, back into like the 70s and 80s of when they've opened. You know, you've got those white linen tablecloths. You see the tables that are so far apart uh, which is so uncommon these days because obviously the more tables you can cram in, the more people you can cram in. Um, you know, you've got these red carpets, which to me just says old school Chinese restaurant. You, know, you get all these ridiculous smells of like rich soy, braises, umami, and then, you know, like clean fried smells as you kind of go through the room. The restaurant first opened in 1975 by Gilbert Lau.
0: He sort of saw an opportunity to do uh, a fine dining version of a Cantonese style restaurant. He actually took
2: business. And place. he hired Jason's father from Hong Kong to be the head chef,
0: and said, "Would you like to bring your whole family over and, and cook for me instead?" Um,
2: and that's okay. how the family became involved in the restaurant.
0: We had a very strong connection with with a lot of ethnic communities. Um, we had a very strong connection with the Greeks, Greek community, Italian, Jewish.
2: Um, you know, it's the occasion restaurant. You go there for celebrations. You go there, you know, for business. It's a cultural hub. So Flower Drum sits in the middle of Chinatown as this kind of unchanging stronghold with like this super loyal clientele. So I was kind of curious about how COVID affected Flower Drum and Jason personally. And so
1: what did Jason tell you about the impact of the pandemic on Flower Drum?
0: When news broke there was going to be a lockdown, Um, myself and a number of other restaurateurs did get together in a roundtable discussion just to sort of gauge what was going to happen and how we're going to get through all this.
2: I know that some businesses were like, oh, what are we going to do with our staff? How are we going to take care of them? Are we going to keep ordering food? Things are going to spoil.
0: There's little things that you wouldn't even think about for shutting down a restaurant for so long. That you know your, your seals for your dishwasher might start cracking, so you got to turn it on every now and then. Um,
2: he had a lot of conversations with people around him, and was like, "Okay, we have to do takeaway. We have to do takeaway as quickly as possible."
0: Obviously, you can't you can't just you know be closed for six months out of seven. We we sort of joined the masses and started doing takeaway. That's when things changed a lot for us. Um,
2: so Jason was taking phone orders personally and
0: doing deliveries as well. That was, a, that was a good thing about doing deliveries myself as well, just connecting with, you know, friends and customers and, and everybody in our community just to say hi, just to see how you're doing.
2: Um, Jason spoke about how he had really faithful clientele and, you know, I think everyone's income got slashed at the time. So instead of forking out for a massive meal, they were like, oh, we'll grab a bottle of wine, we'll grab one dish. Um, If it was fresh food, Jason would deliver it himself. So he'd still had that customer contact and that personability. Um, Yeah. And he could speak to everyone and encourage them to come back in and let them know the plans. Right. So Flower Drum survived. That's largely because
1: of how established it was. And also the fact that Jason was in this position where he could change the business model and, and react quickly. But What about the the other businesses in Chinatown? We know that there were many that had to close. So how permanent is the damage that's been done?
2: Yeah, there were quite a few large permanent closures.
0: My business is down by 70%. As we serve Hubei cuisine, we suffered the most. Uh, The filling is not too good.
1: Have you ever seen anything like this before?
0: No,
2: never. Please come out! Don't scare. To support our industry, we do have trouble. But restaurant staples like Sharkfin Inn. uh, If you think about Dragon Boat, it's been there since I was a child, and I was eating there. Uh, Anam closed. Ling Nam, which is really important for the hospitality community as well. It's where everyone went to eat when they finished work. You know, back in the day, you would probably have to duck and weave and bob up and down, walk along the actual street next to a car just to get up the length of Little Burke Street. But now you can probably just Clear it without even stepping aside, which is a scary thing. And even though the lockdowns have ended, we haven't seen the same kind of foot traffic in the CBD as we did pre-COVID. Um, the foot traffic's down fifty percent compared to before the pandemic, and on average, the business incomes in Chinatown are down fifty-five percent in comparison with their pre-COVID earnings. But a lot of restaurants are being impacted by the effects of the pandemic not just from a lack of foot traffic and, you know, lack of office workers, but one restaurateur in particular said to me, you know, she hasn't experienced racism blatantly, but when your bookings go from a full house to absolutely nothing and everyone's cancelling last minute and your address is on Little Burke Street, uh, it kind of speaks for itself.
1: So you're saying that... It's not just about these logistical problems to do with foot traffic and the CBD being a lot quieter. It's also about racism. Is is that what the community is saying to you?
2: I've spoken with a few people in the food industry, not just, you know, restaurateurs, but in food media. And it's been glaringly obvious that a lot of white-owned Asian businesses have not spoken out against Asian hate. They haven't said, go support Chinatown, go support all these businesses, all these people, you know, we stand in solidarity with you, despite profiting off the flavours, the techniques, the food, the cuisine, the people. (laughs) And even consumers, if you look at Australians, like, we love Asian flavours, we want to eat Asian ingredients, you know, it's being used in modern... Australian dishes, and same with the techniques. But when Chinatown needs the rest of the state to give them support, like, will it happen?
1: We'll be back in a moment.
2: The Every Moment Matters campaign provides accurate, evidence-based information and advice about alcohol, pregnancy and breastfeeding. It has been created by the Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education, and endorsed and funded by the Australian government. Alcohol use during pregnancy can lead to Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder, or FASD, a lifelong disability. So make the moment you start trying the moment to stop drinking. Visit everymomentmatters.org.au to find out more.
1: The City of London in Andrew O'Hagan's latest novel is crumbling. But don't mistake this for pessimism. Instead, the author insists it's a necessary process for a better future. Change doesn't just happen because it's time for a change. Change has to be forced. We live in the end, not in countries that are settled places. They're just imagined communities. I'm Michael Williams, and on this week's Read This, I sit down with Andrew O'Hagan to discuss his latest, Caledonian Road. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Jess, the concern about the ongoing viability of Chinatowns in Australia because of the combination of lockdowns and racism... It isn't just something happening here. There are Chinatowns all over the world and they've all been impacted to some degree by the pandemic. Can you tell me about that and how likely
2: these places are to survive? It's a little scarier overseas, I guess, because, you know, it's meant thousands of closures. Vancouver's historic Chinatown is under threat. Many businesses are shuttered due to the pandemic and advocates are worried... San Francisco's Chinatown is on life support. The virus, in combination with a virulent strain of anti-Asian sentiment, has left its streets empty and its storefronts shuttered. In the main strip of San Francisco's Chinatown alone, fewer than 50 of roughly 200 restaurants and stores remain open. Chinatown in San Francisco is just so... It's equally as iconic. Um, I think it's as big, it's as vibrant, but with the pandemic, it's just gotten everyone off the street.
0: The economy in Chinatown is deteriorating to the level that even such of a popular place, cannot survive.
2: You know, you see all the stop Asian hate and all the violence and the lack of education and the xenophobia around the Asian population, not necessarily Chinese people, because someone decided to call it the China virus.
1: Mm. And just right back at the start of the pandemic, we saw this upsurge in anti-Asian racism, in large part, I think, um, propelled by people like Trump who called it the China virus, but can you tell me about the impact that that has had not only on businesses in Chinatown, but also the community here in Australia more broadly?
2: Personally, you know, I've felt it a lot more. I don't think people realise that if you look different, it doesn't matter where you're from, you experience some kind of racism or microaggression at least once a day, like on a good day. And then, you know, during the pandemic, things just became more blatant. You know, people would throw things at you. People would yell at you for moving cars. And you're like, what is going on? Um, So I think it's a very strong and diplomatic way to say that Chinatown's just been a little bit quiet since the pandemic hit and there might have been some active avoidance (laughs) by a lot of the population. And without immigrants kind of eating where they feel comfortable and where they can speak their own language and order food, there's a flow-on effect and a lack of immigrant population. Uh, there's less people migrating here from the borders being closed, which means they're not going to Chinatown and buying what they need to eat food from home. You know, a lot of students have flown home. If you look at the way that Chinatown is patronised, you know, it's you've got the young students who want an affordable, cheap, nutritious meal that they can eat quickly. You've got office workers who, you know, want to be able to leave the desk and be back within half an hour um, and, you know, be full. (laughs) Um, And, you know, with immigrants and tourists, it's one of the places that you go to and there's just a complete lack of that.
1: And when you weigh all of this up, the disappearing customer base the lack of support that you mentioned earlier from white owned asian food businesses where do you land when you think about the future of Chinatown do you think that we're at risk of losing it
2: it's one of the oldest Chinatowns in the world if you kind of go through the city you can see the history of it especially with the museum going back to the gold rush era and I guess everyone has a cultural touch point there with where they can buy their ingredients, where they can speak to other people in their own language and, you know, where other people get to learn about not just Cantonese food, it was predominantly Cantonese back in the day, but now it's kind of branched out to more regional Chinese. Yeah, and I guess it's not just cultural, it's educational. And I think the way that we think of Chinatown as we think it's going to be there forever and with a lack of immigrants eating there, with a lack of students patronising the area a uh, lack of office workers you know, just being generally excited to eat something that's not a sad desk sandwich we might not see Chinatown there forever. It might be called Chinatown but it'll change into something that's probably a lot more franchised and sterile.
1: Jess, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. As a 7 a.m. listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read POST, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarizing each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox. Every weekday morning with Post. Sign up at the slash newsletters. Also in the news today, the coronavirus crisis in India has spread to neighbouring Nepal, which recorded a record of over 7,000 new COVID-19 cases. The surge in infections has prompted new lockdowns in major cities and towns, with markets, offices and schools closed. Meanwhile, India has reported 3,689 COVID-19 deaths on Sunday, which is the highest single-day rise yet in the pandemic. Total cases in the country are now nearing 20 million. And from this week, the Victorian state government will open 22 state-run vaccination sites to the public. Everyone aged over 50, as well as people in phases 1A and 1B, will be able to book an appointment and receive a vaccine.